0: It was December uh, 2020, still in the throes of the COVID craziness, and we had the whole family back together after uh, a semester at college, which was its own fiasco, and uh, we're all excited to be celebrating Christmas. And uh, my daughter, Karis, she comes down to the living room, and she just starts bringing Stuff. I mean, I mean, boxes, bags, stuff, thing after thing. We're like, what's happening here? This is pretty, pretty excited. And we start unwrapping gifts that we're giving to one another. And Karis is just giving incredible stuff. I mean, like Louis Vuitton bags and uh, House of Gucci stuff and uh, 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 Lululemon. And I, I, don't know the names, but my family, they're, they're going nuts. And then it, it was so good, we started to realize, wait, what's happening here? She's a college kid, is she? Is she selling drugs? Is she robbed a bank? Is she shoplifting? What's happening with my daughter? And finally, we're like, Karis, where did this stuff come from? Does anybody know where this stuff came from? The bins, that's right, the bins. If you don't know what the bins are, come with me and Robin, we're gonna take you to the bins. Goodwill gets so much stuff. They have this warehouse, they just roll stuff out. You find these treasures, you pay by the pound, it's insane. Uh, It's not for everybody, but we we have some fun. Well, after that, it was, um, we were in the new year then. I remember Robin and I went out to eat for like the first time in a year. I think literally we went out to eat for the first time in over a year. And uh, the, the restaurant was almost empty. It was almost more depressing than fun. And we're like, well, let's, let's, let's go do something. So we go down to the bins and we're just like, oh my God, th- gosh, this is, this, is just, this is just crazy. So we, um, we're looking around at all this stuff and then Robin finds this box and I would have never even given it a second look. But she takes this box and it's a puzzle and she says, I know this, this puzzle or worth something. So she takes it home. We confirm that all the pieces are there and she puts it online and she sells it. And I'm not even gonna say how much she sold it for because it was an obscene amount of money for a puzzle. Whoo, it was incredible. That is only scratching the surface of what has been found at the bins. I just did a quick internet search. I don't know what's been found here in Denver, but once apparently overseas, somebody was having a garage sale, and they found a Van Gogh that was then auctioned off for $5 million. Another family in upstate New York found a vase that they took, they took it home, they put it on the shelf, they threw loose change in there. They threw keys in there. They threw <laughs> dead batteries, who knows what else. And then one day, the mom was like, that's a really nice vase. Maybe we should, it turns out it was a, a vase from the Song Dynasty in China, and it was worth over $2 million. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Craziness, craziness what is found. So now, imagine, imagine yourself. You've gone to some uh, a garage sale. And, and we only—who knows what the object is? Let's just say you 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 see something and you know, it's worth an incredible amount of money. So you take it, you clean it, you polish it, you fix it up, and it's worth—we'll just say an outrageous amount, worth a billion dollars. The news catches wind, you know this treasure is found. They write an article. There's news stories. It's all over. And then the person who had the garage sale—they come back and they say, "Hey, wait, wait, wait! You bought that for a dollar, right? Can I buy that?" back for a dollar, what are you gonna say? You're gonna say, hit the road, Jack. I'm here and be like, yeah, sorry, your loss, my gain. I saw the value, I saw the treasure, I saw the beauty, I saw this treasured possession that you thought was trash. That is analogous to what Peter is telling us in this introduction to his letter. He's telling us, listen, 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 you are not just exiles, you're not just people scattered. You are now a treasured possession of God. But as we unpack what that means, what he's telling us is, I get it, I get it. Some of you, you were lost in sin. Some of you were those thrown out pieces of garbage. Some of you were actively engaging in wickedness and, 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 and ways of life. But here's the thing, you have now been, and this is the key, this is the key. You weren't just bought for a buck. You were bought not even with silver not even with gold what does it say you were bought with the precious blood of jesus christ and that is really then pointing us to not just how valuable you are but the great price that was paid to redeem you and bring you back and that is key to understand where peter is going to his original hearers, and where peter wants us to go with him you have been bought Silver, amazing. Gold, even better. Platinum, I don't know, yet all the better, all the more. But no, 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 far greater than anything. You, you, brother. I got, I got to emphasize this because I got to get you in the right mindset. You, brother and sister, you were bought with the most precious thing in all of creation, the blood of Jesus Christ. And he was happy to pay the price who is happy, willing to pay the price to make you his own again. So that is, like, that's where Peter is going with us. So with that in mind now, let's move on in our reading of 1 Peter. We're going to pick up chapter 1, verse uh, 13 here. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, and so your faith and hope are in God. For each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. The living, and we had something wrong with the sides there. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Thanks be to God. He starts, of course, with the old therefore, which every preacher always says, uh, of course, we got to remember what it's there for. We have to keep in mind the first section, just briefly here, where what has brought us to the therefore. And what has brought us here is really quite profound. He packed in a lot To those first couple verses. Remember, he declares that we are elect, but we are also an exiled people. Strangers living in a strange land. We're foreigners. We are people who are sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are also a scattered people. We are, um, what else? I mean, what does it say? It says, uh, you, you have a living hope. You have a living hope now abiding in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you also have an inheritance being kept guarded in heaven for you. Then he even goes so far as we know to say, I recognize you are enduring extreme suffering and trials. But then he tells us, rejoice greatly. It can be confusing, right? It can almost seem contradictory. But instead of seeing these things as contradictory statements in God's word for us, let's understand that this is the truth that is being revealed for us to actually help us make sense of God's plan and our experience. And I think with a little reflection and application, we understand we do live with these tensions, right? We live with these tensions between elect and exile, sanctified and scattered. But let's think about it this way. Rick got a new guitar here. I think he got it at the bins for a dollar and it turned out, no, I think, I think he went and p- found good money for it. So, by the way, we also determined you can never have too many skis, too many bikes, or too many guitars. Praise be to God, so that's just been declared from the pulpit here. Um, we think about that head of the guitar and that, I think it's called the bridge or the, uh, uh, of the guitar. And, and, and the string has to be held in between those two points. But that tension creates beauty, that tension creates the music that we sing to. So we simply need to be able to hold in tension these things that can seem opposed, but we know plays the music of our lives. Yes, we are elect, but yes, we are exiles. Yes, we are sanctified, and yet we recognize our lives are scattered throughout this world. Yes, we suffer greatly, but we also rejoice Greatly. No, this is growing and perfecting God's work and faith in us. Amen, friends? So hold these things together. Don't see them as contradictory. Understand this is God really, I think, beautifully just being like, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to not deceive you. I'm going to tell you how you need to reconcile the tensions of this world to try and attune it to God's plan for your lives. Make sense? Make sense? Okay, so that's, that's what God is revealing for us in, in the introductory statement. And then Peter wants to get on with it. And what he gets on with us, of course, he makes this great statement uh, about um, approaching our faith, our understanding, our experience in the world. And he says, with alert and with sober minds. So right here, we know we are called to a faith that engages our brains, right? Let's engage our brains with God. Hallelujah, amen, somebody should be thankful. For that, we have an intellectual faith. Absolutely, 100%. God wants us to fully engage with the intellect he has given us to help us understand and be a part of his plan working its way in the world. And far too often we see Christians not fully engaging the mind in faith. And so my encouragement to you, and I've said things like this before, but if you are being, and I'm just gonna cut to the punch cause I got too many other like, like, like good things to say. Um, if you are being discipled by a 24 hour cable news cycle or entertainment or whatever, you are being lied to, you are being deceived, you are being led astray. And, and, and I will stand on that, I will talk about that, we will unpack that more. But I worry, I do, not like in an unfaithful way, but I have great concern, I have great pastoral concern for people that will go to church for one hour a week and then be discipled 24-7 in the news cycle. Because here's the deal, I I really don't care, and and I say that quite intentionally, I'm not saying that flippantly, I really don't care if it's a liberal cycle that you are engaged with or a conservative cycle you're engaged with, they only want your eyes, they actually only want your dollars, they want their sponsors to get the stuff to buy, So, so you are being discipled in a cycle of fear that is unfaithful in many, many ways. And we can talk about that. We can unpack that more. We can process that, that, that more. But I think many of us would already agree to say that is a dangerous way to live. We need to make sure that we are being discipled not just by cable news and network TV, but we are being discipled by the Word of God. We need to be in the study of God's Word as individuals. We need to be in the Psalms guiding the way that we pray. We need to be in groups talking about and unpacking the Word of God and our experience in the world. We need to be making sure that we are singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs like we do this morning throughout the week to build us up in the faith. We need to fully engage the heart, the soul, the body, and the mind in understanding our faith and God's plan for us. So please, 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 my encouragement to you again is just make sure you are approaching faith fully alert and fully sober. All of your awareness. Paying attention to the ways that the world can try to deceive and lead you astray. And what particularly concerns me is the fear. The fear that I just see being invoked in the lives of so many. So that said, he actually goes a little bit more then. Um, He then says, um, um, uh, 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 ready for action but I just gotta be a, a pastor nerd for just a moment because we lose the nuance of that statement. What the words actually mean in the most literal translation is he wants us to gird up our loins for action with God's plan for the world. And that was quite literally to be understood in the way that people were experiencing life back then because life back then Everybody was wearing basically long one-piece tunics and robes over it and a belt tied around the waist. And it was hard to run like that. So what did people have to do if they are gonna get on the move? They had to kind of gird. I was gonna wear a dress, but Robin said it wouldn't be appropriate. So no, you have to like gird up your loins. You You had to gather them up so that you could be ready to jump into action. And it's a beautiful image when we think about some of the images that we have from the stories passed down to us. Jesus told a story about a father who loved his son, and his son went away, but when he saw his prodigal son coming back, what does it say? His father gathered up his robes and ran. The urgency, the action, the humiliation, actually. It was considered humiliating for an older, distinguished man to run like that. That was the father's love. He girded up his loins and he ran to the son. Then we talk about uh, the stories of Easter, the resurrection appearances. Mary goes to the disciples and what did it say? They ran, they girded up their loins. Peter and John run to the tomb to confirm the resurrection of the Lord. Then later that day, Disciples are on the way to Emmaus. They're going the wrong way. We won't preach that whole story. That's a, that's a great story, the road to Emmaus. But when Jesus reveals himself to them in the breaking of the bread, they walk to Emmaus. But what did they do to get back to Jerusalem? It says they ran. It says they gathered up their stuff and they ran, hoofing it, to get back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples they had seen the risen Jesus Christ. So that is the attention. That is the, that is the call to action that Peter wants us to engage. I want you to engage your mind, and then I want you to be ready to jump into the action that faith calls you to in serving the mission of God. Amen, friends? This is a beautiful, beautiful call for us. But here's where we're going to spend most of our time here this morning, and then I'm just going to have to end it and say amen because it's just too much to ever get into one, one morning. Then comes the final call here. We get ready for, uh, we get our minds engaged. We get our bodies engaged. It's, it's also worth saying that the goal that we keep in sight is the return of Jesus Christ. It says the glory to be revealed in Christ's return. Brothers and sisters, every day in numerous ways, remind yourself the goal is the return of Christ. The coming of the kingdom of God, the new creation of heaven and earth together in the fulfillment of Of the fullness of the plan of redemption of our god we we just that has to be our goal that has to always be on the horizon for us to properly guide and direct our lives um but then he says this he says so in the meantime while we're waiting and praying for christ to return what do we do did you catch what we did there we are called to be holy as god is holy be holy as i am holy would any of you be surprised right now if I told you that, more than anything else, God is described as a holy God in the Bible? Right? No, that, 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 that's no big surprise. In fact, almost every mention of the name of God throughout the Old Testament in particular, we also have the adjective, the descriptor, holy God, the holy Lord. He is a holy God. God is a holy being. It is, it is not just the, just the character of God, it is, the, it is the quality of God's essence to be holy. That word holy has kind of a double-pronged aspect to it. In the most strict sense, it's about being set apart. To be holy is to be set apart, but it's also to be set apart for this element of being pure, to being undefiled. The Hebrew uses this word kadosh, which is just a fun word to say. Kadosh, say kadosh. There you go. Yeah, and annoy your coworkers and friends with the Hebrew lessons when they don't ask for them. The, the, the Hebrew word, um, Hagio or Hagios, but they're, they're really the same. The, the, the beautiful continuity from the old to the new is that the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the purity, the set-apartness of God, which doesn't surprise any of us, is actually then to come to God's people as well. Let let me back up so we don't get too far ahead. I want you to fully understand this revelation and this invitation to be holy as God uh, is holy. We certainly see throughout the Old Testament, objects are holy. Objects are to be set aside and kept pure, in particular for the expression of worship to God. And so you, you have this, um, for example, the Moses and the burning bush moment. Moses, you're standing on hallowed ground, holy ground. And then as God brings people out of slavery and you know, in the promised land and they're to establish the worship of God, you have all of these holy, hallowed consecrated. I love the way one commentary said the word is just kind of pregnant and gives birth to all these other words, hallowed, holy, consecrated, sacred, sanctified, All, all these things that are set apart. And so you had holy vestments for the priests. You had holy objects for worship. You had this holy of holies chamber set aside for the presence of God. And so we see all these things are to become holy, but then it goes beyond. Then you're supposed to, of course, be a holy people. God's saying, all of this is just sort of this metaphor, it's this this reflection of, I want you to be the consecrated, the sacred, the set apart, the hallowed people. So the question becomes then, set apart for what? What are we set apart for? What do we do with our holiness? Um, But again, let me back up just a second. Because our experience of the holy has to move most often from terror to joy. Many of you would be familiar with the story of a prophet named Isaiah who goes to worship God, and he goes into uh, the, the, to the temple to worship God, Isaiah chapter 6. It's a beautiful story. God, he, he, he shows up to worship God, and God shows up. I always say maybe we should expect God to show up in some more powerful ways when we go to God's house to worship so don't be surprised in fact maybe it's a great expectation to encounter God when we come to worship but when he encounters the very presence this theophany this so the manifest experience of God actually being present there in the temple what what is it what is his reaction well first he hears angels singing cherubim singing holy 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 so we have this great declaration, of course. Yes, okay, God's not just holy. God's not just holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. So that, that tells us something, because that's so often the way that the Hebrew expresses um, kind of the, the how important um, or, or to emphasize something. Like the gold that was used, it, w- it wasn't like pure gold. It was called gold, gold, because like there's gold and there's gold, gold. That's how it was emphasized. So God isn't just holy, holy, holy. He's Holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah experiences this holiness of God, of course, what's his experience? Tear, tear, tear. I recognize your pureness, your set-apartness, and now that it's not set apart from me and I've come into the presence of it, I'm going to be undone. I I am not pure and set apart in the way that God is pure and set apart, but God, praise be to God, uh, glory be to God, God it says, I recognize what is happening, and I'm going to do something about it. And so then it says God sends an angel and touches Isaiah's lips and God does the work of making Isaiah clean so that he can become a in the he can be in the presence of God, but then again it's more it's to become a part of the holy plan of God. We see this mirrored in such a beautiful way and and, and I didn't, never caught how just how uh, how I don't, maybe I always wondered, did the writers of the Bible under the power of the Holy Spirit, did they even catch, you know, just the, the, the power of what they're writing until they took a step back and reflected on it? Because Peter, back to our man Peter, what, is, what happens to him the first time he recognizes the holiness of Jesus Christ? He's spent a whole night fishing, he's caught nothing, Jesus comes, he preaches the message, says put out into the water... They have a miraculous catch of fish. Does he say, awesome, amazing, this is incredible? Does he give Jesus high fives? No, he says, essentially the same thing Isaiah said, away from me. I recognize holiness in you now, Jesus. And it's undoing me. It's revealing me. And I kinda don't like what I see. (laughs) And Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And I'm going to get in the process of working holiness into your life. And then we see Peter on the other side of the resurrection. He has disqualified himself for ministry. But when he goes out fishing, and what happens? They catch nothing. I'm like, I'm I'm giving you like the, like I'm throwing so much stuff at you. I'm sorry, but it's just such a big topic. Peter's down in the dumps. He feels he's disqualified himself from ministry because he's denied Jesus. He goes out fishing, his friends are with him. They catch nothing. They hear a voice call, hey, Toss the net on the other side of the boat. They must just not been paying attention, but they do it, and boom, that miraculous catch again. But what happens this time? He doesn't run away from Jesus. He literally tries to run. He, he has to he tries to run. On, he, maybe he thought he was going to walk on water again, but he jumps out of the boat, and he swims, and he gets there to be with Jesus. So Peter has moved from, oh, the holiness of Christ is, is too much, to, oh, I want to be. I want to be a part That holiness. I want to be with Jesus. So you see that beautiful movement in Peter's life. And let me just point this out. And then we see this kind of, in a sense, fully confirmed in the life of Peter because Peter, again, he's writing about 30 years after the resurrection. He probably only has a year or two more to live before he's going to pay the ultimate price. But something in between that resurrection and his own. Martyrdom for Jesus Christ. He has another incredibly significant experience. He was in prayer, and he had a vision. And in this vision, he sees this kind of this tarp, this net being come down from heaven. And all these unkosher animals, and literally he's praying because he's like waiting for a meal to be prepared. So he's like giving grace to God. It's kind of a fun little thing in Acts chapter 16. And, uh, and, And then he hears a voice of the Lord saying, eat. And he's like, no, 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 Like, I will never eat that unkosher stuff, that would defile me, that would make me unclean. And then he has a vision again, he has a vision again, and and, and the voice says, do not call unpure what I have made clean. And at the same time, this gentile, Cornelius, I think it was Cornelius, I'm drawing a blank now, uh, has this vision. Um, of welcoming Peter to his house, but Peter is an outsider, a Gentile, unclean. But long story short then, and again, I'm I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you this morning, but Peter goes there, and Peter basically just goes into the house, and he eats with the people, and they pray and they fellowship together because Peter says, I finally get it now. It's not about all these outside exercises of keeping things holy and pure. It's about the inner work of Christ in all of us, sanctifying, sealing us, setting us aside for the great work of God. Right, friends? And it's like he's finally come together, this invitation to be holy as Christ, as God is holy. You see, you see, Peter was very wrapped up in all of those holiness code, the holiness laws, and there was a lot. I mean, there was rules for how to eat. There was rules for how to dress. There was rules for how to patch a... A hole in your garment. There was rules for what to do if you found mildew in your house. There was rules for anything and everything. And it was really easy, in a sense, to try and keep holy because you just kept checking the boxes. But God was already saying, holiness isn't just about checking the boxes and doing these outward things. And yet, for so many of us, we grow up and this would be particular, I think, to people who grow up in the church, we can allow our faith, if we're honest, we can allow our faith to really slip into a checking the boxes kind of a faith. You know, what do you want to do if you want to be a Christian? What do you want to be holy? Well, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. I always say that was really limited my dating pool growing up in western Pennsylvania. But some of us grew up you don't dance. Anybody grow up with that one? Never dance. How about don't play cards? Oh, don't play cards. Uh, the Devil's tools there. Mm-hmm. How, how about how, how about how about this one? Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't smoke, drink, or chew or you know that. But you go out to eat after lunch. Uh, after uh, you go out to eat to lunch after church every Sunday, right? No, but some people are like, no. If you go out to eat you're making other people work, and you're making other people break the Sabbath, and it gets, it can get kinda weird, right? It can get kinda hard, it can get kinda like, wait, all right, how am I gonna, well, I don't wanna work, but if I do this, I work, but if I go there, I make this other, oh, my mind's gonna blow. Okay, listen, listen, listen. Let's engage our minds for a moment, and then we'll wrap it up. You see how I brought it full circle here? Your, so let's engage our minds for a second. Should you have a personal code of holiness and conduct for yourself? 100%. Absolutely. I, I, I think we can all examine our lives. We can read the scriptures. We can look at the culture and the world around us. And we should do some things that help make us holy and set apart, that sanctify ourselves we should be modest in dress and modest in expression we should be modest with our money uh, we should be generous with our giving and serving uh, we should probably not engage in actions or behaviors that are unhealthy towards us or unhealthy towards others we should all of us should uh, never you know succumb to or if we find ourselves in addiction we should seek help and healing and restoration from from that there's, there's so many things and we should absolutely have our holiness code and we should live by that but we also need to recognize if it becomes a legalism, boxes that we just check off, we're probably missing the point of the deeper work of Christ sanctifying us through the holiness of the spirit working through us which is always to bring us back to the love of Christ because that's where Peter ends. And I'm gonna end it there and we're gonna have to pick up after the next series about what this life of love through the sanctifying holy work of Christ in us actually works with. But I'm going to invite the band to get ready to bring us out. But I'm going to do this one last thing because I, I, I gave myself just a, just a, just a couple minutes here to, to, to finish it out. I did this once before, but it was way before COVID and we were a very different church there and there's a lot of new people here. Um, so a couple of you might remember this exercise that I invited you to do but I think this will be new for most of you. Um, What is the word that Peter, that Paul, that almost every New Testament letter starts with? It is written to the saints. It's written to the saints. And you know what the heart of that word saint is? hagios, holy. We are holy ones. So, The very design, the revelation for us is it's, again, be holy, be a saint, as God is a saint. So how does this really land on us? And uh, I came up with this years ago when I was doing like youth ministry because I thought it was like a good way just to kind of drive this point home with kids. And now that I'm not a youth anymore, I find that some of the lessons we give kids (laughs) are some of the best lessons for any of us. I'm going to tell you the exercise, but then it's on you to actually do it on your own if you want to do this. If I just told you to take a pen and to write sinner on your hand, you would do this, what I'm about to do. You would take the Sharpie and you'd take it in your dominant hand and you'd write sinner. Very easy to do because sin comes very easy to all of us in our natural state. But if I said that is not who you are anymore, it's now time to write "Saint." You have to do this. You have to take that sharpie and now, with my left hand, my not dominant hand, I have to very difficultly. <laughs> this is hard to do. I have to. But if I'm going to write "Saint" on here, I have to focus. I have to. It's, it's hard work, and it, and it looks kind of messy. But oh, but I can do it. I can get. Saint, written there. And then I have these two words on me, sinner and saint. But here's what I think works about this. In our natural state, we easily fall into sin. But because of the work of Christ, we can now become saints. And the real hook is that this is the dominant hand. This is the hand I lead with. This is the hand I pray with. This is the hand I bless with. This is the hand that I work with. This is the hand that picks up the phone. This is the hand that picks up the scriptures. This is the hand that can do the work of God through the sanctifying saving. Do you get it? Does it make sense? So I don't know if anybody wants to just take a little devotional exercise. And do that, and just we recognize, okay, in my, again, my natural state, I fall into the sin that separates me from the holiness of God. But thanks be to God through the work of Jesus Christ, the work on that cross, that blood spilt, I can now become that saint. I can start living into being that saint that He's calling me to be. Amen, friends? Amen, friends? Be holy, be a saint, just as God is holy. Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, again, this incredible revelation that invites us, yes, to engage our minds. It invites us, yes, to engage our whole bodies in moving forward in faith. And thank you so much for this incredible invitation to be holy as you are holy. And we recognize that it is only through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, that we can now step in to the holy, sanctified, hallowed, set apart, pure lives that you're calling us to live. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.